Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. The story of Jonah was written not only to illustrate the issues in Jonah's heart, but so that when Israel read the story, the minor prophet Jonah, it would reveal the issues in their own heart. So when we're reading the book of Jonah, it's going to point out in our heart where we don't line up with God's heart. And that's what Sunday is all about, to get our attention and our focus back on God, to remove the idols and the barriers and the areas in our life that keep us from following God wholeheartedly. Sunday is kind of like the reset button where we get our attention, our focus back on God, where it should be throughout the week. You've probably heard of Jonah, right? Even if you haven't grown up in church, you've probably heard of Jonah and the whale. And I've read this story numerous times. I've been through it in Sunday school, and I love getting to prepare for sermons. Actually, I love preparing for the sermon more than I love getting up on stage and delivering the sermon, because I don't get to tell you all the little bits and pieces and trinkets and nuggets of gold that I get to come up with because I only have 35, 45 minutes. Jonah's kind of a jerk. Can I use that term on stage? Is that okay? The kids are gone. Just adults here, right? Jonah is kind of a jerk. And I think I can say that because I think he would say that if he were here today. If Jonah was the one who recorded the book of Jonah, he didn't leave any of the nasty details out of his attitude towards what God called him to do. You know what? I think Jonah is a jerk who had a secret. And it's a secret that he holds on to in the depths of his heart until the last chapter in the book. So I'm not going to tell you until we get to the last chapter. Does that sound good? Do you like a cliffhanger? Be on the edge of your seat. Your legs are going to be numb. We're going to get to chapter four and you'll be ready to hear it. So there are four chapters in the book of Jonah. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read every word of every chapter in the whole book of Jonah. We're going to go through the whole book and we're going to do it fast. So you're going to have to hang on. When we get to chapter four, I'm going to tell you the secret. At the end of each of the chapters, I'm going to do some explanation, give some context and make some application. Sound good? Four chapters, four points. Here we go. Jonah chapter one. Buckle up. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah thought that was too difficult, so he decided to go in the opposite direction. Verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, a port in Israel on the Mediterranean Sea. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction. So he paid the fare. Running from God's always going to cost you something. And he went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord, verse 4, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. I hope you don't get seasick watching the background up here. We're going to have some imagery in the background because this is a really cool story and I want to draw you into it as much as I possibly can. The ship threatened to break up. Verse 5, then the mariners, the sailors, they were afraid. It takes a lot to get a sailor afraid of the ocean, right? He spends his whole life on there. And each cried out to his God 
and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. They did the same thing with the Apostle Paul on his way to Rome when they got shipwrecked on Malta. They threw all the luggage into the sea. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down. Everybody say down. Down. And was fast asleep, which I think was another way for him to escape the difficult thing that God was calling him to, a way to escape the storm. Verse 6, so the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, the lot fell on Jonah. Verse 8, they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? Can you sense the desperation here? I'm emphasizing a little bit, but look at the questions. Verse 9. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. (laughs) The God of heaven who made the... I saw that too, right? The sea. And the dry land. You know, Jonah, if you really feared God, you'd obey God. And if you truly believed that God was the God of the land and the sea, you'd know that you can't run away from God's presence by going out in the sea. Right? I find that a little ironic. There's some of the satirical nature of the book. Verse 10. Then the men, the sailors, were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Everybody say tempestuous. Isn't that a good word? It's almost like credenza. I think it's a little better than credenza. Tempestuous. Verse 12, and he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Which I always thought was quite noble of Jonah, right? I'm going to sacrifice myself for the sake of these poor sailors. But you know, a number of commentators who are much smarter than I am when it comes to understanding the Bible said that this was potentially just another way of Jonah escaping the hard thing that God was calling him to do. Jonah was willing to drown in the stormy sea if it meant that he didn't have to follow what God was calling him to do. God ever tell you to do tough stuff in your life? And you will go at any length to avoid what God's calling you to do. You don't have to raise your hand, but just think about it. For some of us, that's a daily basis. I would do anything but that, right? God, I'll go anywhere for you, except there. Verse 13. Think about this. Sailors, nevertheless... The men rowed hard to get back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They exhausted all efforts in trying to save Jonah's life. Jonah couldn't lift a finger for the Ninevites, but the sailors, the crude sailors with a woman at every port, sail, what's the term? Swearing like a sailor. Cursing like a sailor, there you go. They're willing to exhaust all efforts to try and save this man's life, and he's not willing to lift a finger for the Ninevites. Verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, just like a piece of cargo, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord, 
and they made vows. In verse 17, the part we all know and love, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here's a picture of Jesus right here, and Jesus uses it himself. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, he says, Jesus says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's a picture of Jesus right there that Jesus himself uses. Man, it's tough to do the right thing, isn't it? And often the right thing is the hard thing. How many people have found that to be true? The right thing is often the hard thing. The path of least resistance is usually the wrong way to go. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way and few who go thereby that leads to life. We procrastinate, don't we? If you're a procrastinator, feel free to raise your hand tomorrow, right? (laughs) Or maybe you're an escapist and you try and avoid the difficult thing by running to entertainment or running to Facebook or running to addictions, running to habits, anything to get away from the difficulty of the situation. Man, it's so easy to run. And I know that there are people in this room, probably most of us, who have a relationship on our mind right now where we know that we need to have a tough face-to-face conversation. And I will be the first to admit that with my personality type, I would rather sink into the corner than jump in front of somebody and say, here's the truth that you need to hear. You know, for many of you, if God's brought a person to your mind, you need to pull out your cell phone. You need to text them, even now, if you want to. Before you go home today, pull out your phone, call that person that God's bringing to your mind. Do the hard thing, because often the hard thing is the right thing. I have said this before, but you know when you're in a lineup and you're standing at a desk waiting for service and you're standing there with a bunch of strangers, it is so easy to just pull out your phone and get into your own comfortable little world, isn't it? Avoid and escape the discomfort of standing with a bunch of strangers and step into the comfort of your own technology and social media. When we know that the right thing is often the more difficult thing, putting our phone away, being present, and speaking life and value into the people who are right there beside us who need the message and truth of God's word. Don't avoid the hard stuff, but easier said than done, isn't it? And I'm a living example of avoiding the hard stuff. Jonah thought he could escape God's call. He gets up, he runs the opposite direction. Do you know that Tarshish is 2,500 miles across the Mediterranean, whereas Nineveh is only about 500 miles north? Jonah went five times the distance, paid money, ran in the opposite direction to try and avoid God's call. He thought, maybe if I go far enough, I know I can't get out of the presence of God, that's just a figure of speech, but if I go far enough, maybe God will choose somebody else, right? If I don't do it, somebody else will. Somebody's sure to step up. There's garbage on the road, but maybe the next person will get it. There's a kid being bullied in the classroom next to me, but... I'm sure he's got a friend or a family member. A teacher is going to stick up for them, right? It doesn't need to be me. Somebody else will do it. I'll just put it off. Somebody else will do it. Jonah had given God's message to God's people in the past, but now God is telling him to give his message to people who did not identify with God. That was new. That was new for Jonah. Nineveh 
is the capital of Assyria. You remember Assyria. We just talked about it last week. Assyria was the nation that surrounded Samaria, besieged the city until people were eating other people. You remember that story from last week. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. So here's my thought. Why was Jonah so against going to Nineveh? Was he scared? Would, did he just not want to take the journey? Did it not fit with his schedule? Did he not feel like he was the right person? Why did he not want to go? If God's telling him, and remember the message that God told him to share back in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Wouldn't you want to be the one to take that message of judgment against God's people? Wouldn't Jonah want to be the hero of the day to show up, stand up for Israel in front of their enemies and say, you're going down because my God is great and he has pronounced your judgment. He is not letting your evil go. Wouldn't Jonah want to be the person to carry that message? Don't we want to be the hero in our story? Why wouldn't Jonah want to go do that? It's because Jonah had a secret, right? I'm going to remind you just a little bit. Jonah has a secret tucked deep down inside that we don't get to see in this story until chapter four. He knows something that we haven't yet been told in the story and we don't find out until chapter four. Don't you hate that, cliffhangers? Here's the irony. The prophet who preached God's word is now running five times the distance to stay away from preaching God's word. The sailors, who are crude men who probably had women at every port, that was the nature of sailors back in that day, they were the ones who fought for Jonah's life, who tried to save Jonah, who were tender-hearted and repentant towards God in the storm that he had sent. The fish, who should have digested Jonah, is the medium through which God saves his life. Running from God will always take you down. God's inviting Jonah to take the high road. Jonah's taking the road of least resistance, which always leads down. Look at this. God calls him up. He goes down to Tarshish. The captain calls him up because he was sleeping down in the hall of the ship. The sailors lifted him up. He went down into the sea. The fish swallowed him up. He went down into the fish's belly. The fish eventually vomited him up. Do you see how God is trying to redirect Jonah's direction? You remember when we talked about Solomon and we had these silly lamps and God brought three adversaries. We talked about how God is for us, who can be against us, but sometimes God is so for us that he has to stand against us so that we turn around and follow his will and therefore he is for us. God sent the storm. God sent the sailors. God sent the fish. It says God appointed a great fish. God is constantly trying to redirect Jonah back into his will and his calling. Can I tell you, you can't escape God's calling forever. You can put it off. You can tuck it away. You can pretend you never heard it. But you can't escape God's calling forever. Ready for chapter 2? All right. Verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. <laughs> What an awesome prayer. From the belly of the fish. It's too bad he didn't just pray the first time, right? Why do, you, why do you have to wait until you're drowning, literally, in your struggle before you pray? I do that all the time. Quick story. I remember snowmobiling with my dad in Ontario. My sister Katie was on the back. 
It was a big grand touring snowmobile, big heavy thing. If you've ever gotten one of those stuck, you know what it's like to try and get it out, especially in fresh powdery snow. We're down in this ditch, kilometers from home. It's dark, it's a school night, and I remember dad digging for hours, digging, 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 and it's just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And then I remember such a simple thing. He stopped and he prayed. And I'll, I'll never forget it. He jumped on and hit the throttle. And it was like that thing was never stuck. You know, it doesn't happen like that every time. But those simple little things just remind you, don't put off prayer. Why do we wait? Jonah waits until he's in the belly of the fish. And then he prays saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, in verse 2, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, the watery grave, I cried, and you heard my voice. Look at what he says in verse 3, for you cast me into the deep. Now, Jonah, wasn't it you who convinced the sailors to throw you? For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, all your waves and your billows, they passed over me, in verse 4. I am driven away from your sight. Wait a second, Jonah. Weren't you the one who tried to run from God's presence? Now you're saying that God is the one who's driving you from his sight? I, just a thought, just a thought. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. Some of you feel like this this morning. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I love those two verses. But look at these next two. Verse eight. Those people over there those who pay regard to vain idols, the Assyrians paid regard to vain idols, and they forsake the hope of steadfast love. Do you catch that? The hope of steadfast love. Is there still hope for Nineveh? Verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It sounds just a little pharisaical, doesn't it? Do you remember when the Pharisees in the temple, and I think it's a tax collector, right? And they're both praying, and the tax collector's beating his breast, and he's saying, have pity on me, for I'm a sinner. And then the Pharisee is saying, thank you that I'm not like that person. Sounds a little pharisaical. That's just the gist that I get from this little section of scripture. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I was hoping that word would come, right? Because God hurled the storm and the sailors hurled the cargo and then they hurled Jonah and then the fish, doesn't say hurl, it says vomited. I like how it just keeps digressing, right? Vomited. Can we just pause for a moment and consider the fact that God spoke to a fish? 
Can we just think about that? Because when I'm reading through the commentaries, they're all trying to say, how could Jonah survive in the belly of the fish? Is it possible? Some people have done studies. Maybe there's a little air pocket. Maybe there was enough. He could just get his head up there and he could just breathe a little bit. It was a miracle. Can we just leave it at that? God made it happen. But this blows my mind a little more. God speaks to the fish. You know, it takes faith to believe in a God who speaks to fish. You know, you can't argue anybody logically into believing in a God who speaks to fish. God has to do a work in people's hearts. You can't accomplish that. You can't convince someone of that. God cared enough about Jonah and the Ninevites and the sailors that he was not willing to let Jonah run from his responsibilities, and he's not willing to let you run from your responsibilities forever. You know, I wouldn't have that much patience with Jonah. Praise God for his long-suffering and his patience and his steadfast love. Do you know, one of the most difficult things about ministry, and I believe any leadership profession, is training the people to do the work. Training the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's how the Bible puts it, right? Delegation. Because it's so much easier to just do it yourself. You want it done right, do it yourself, right? Think about this process with me. You try and recruit someone, they say no. You try and recruit them the second time, maybe three months later, I'll pray about it. You try and recruit them the third time, they say yes, hey, that's awesome. You lead them through a little bit of training for a couple afternoons on a Saturday, they come out, this is great. They have a few questions, you answer their questions, this is awesome. They have a few more questions, okay, I, I already went over those, but we'll go over them again, okay. Then they drop the ball. And, you know, it's all right. Everybody does that. Here's a little bit of grace. That's okay. That's going to happen. Then they drop the ball again. And it's just mercy and grace. And that's not always the case, but quite often people require a lot of grace. I require a lot of grace. And that doesn't come naturally to me at all. You see, I have this elusive dream somewhere out there that there are these perfect volunteers who are going to show up on time, they're going to be ready, they're going to already have all the answers, they're going to be totally competent, they're going to know God's word and how it applies today, they're going to know all the cultural trends, they're going to be ready to go. And I haven't met those people yet, but I'm thinking someday maybe I'll meet those people. But we require grace and mercy and long-suffering, don't we? That's how it always works. It doesn't happen in a moment. Sanctification is a process. God had mercy and grace and patience with Jonah. And can I suggest God has mercy and grace and patience with each one of us in here today? Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Whether Jonah meant his prayer or not, God heard his cry for mercy and he saved him. And it's not a pretty picture of salvation, but it's a picture of salvation nonetheless. Jonah gets vomited up. He's on the sand, covered in bile and fish guts, whatever that fish was munching on. Have you ever gone to the beach in the summertime because we're in Nova Scotia, Canada's ocean playground, amen? You go to the beach, you swim in the salt water, you come back home, you know, you strip your kids down in the parking lot and change them, throw them in their car seats, get home, and then you forget the clothes in the trunk? You ever done that? Salt water clothes. And then three days later, you're at Superstore or Mastown Market right up the road here and you're getting your groceries. You pop that trunk open and <sighs> can't you just smell it? three days. But Jonah was brought up out of his watery grave. It's a picture of salvation. You know what? When you were saved, you weren't that pretty either. <laughs> There's this myth around 
And this stereotype about churches, this thing that society believes that you have to get cleaned up before you come to God. Before you go to church, you have to figure everything out. You got to Google it. You got to know what time it is. You got to know what songs are going to be singing. You got to know when to stand, when to sit. You got to have all your life figured out and all the answers before you get there because, but you can't clean the fish before you catch it, right? All of us were a mess before we came to God. And without God's grace, even now, we would still be a mess. And how quickly we forget. Pastor Andy Stanley preached a sermon series on this two years ago. And it was called Managing the Mess, Dealing with the Mess, I think it was. And he talked about how we were all messes. And I remember sitting there in Atlanta, Georgia, and he told everyone to look at their neighbor and say, you're a mess. And then look at this neighbor and say, you're a mess. And the truth is, we're all a mess without God. How quickly we forget. And there's Jonah laying there on the beach, disgusting, but saved from his watery grave. Jonah ain't running away in pride anymore. He's pretty humbled on the beach in the fish vomit. You ready for chapter 3? Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Praise God for second chances. How many people would not be here today if not for a second chance? If I only got one chance in life, man, who knows where I would be? Praise God for his second chances. Verse 2. Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. That's new information. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called a fast, they put on sackcloth, which is a sign of mourning and remorse for their evil. From the greatest of them to the least of them, verse 6, look at this. The word reached the king of Nineveh. You never know what that little word of truth spoke and how far that's going to make it. That little seed planted, you never know how far that's going to make it. Jesus says, what you do to the least of these, you've done for me. Never think anybody too insignificant for your time or to add value to their life. Because you never know where that message will make it. The message reaches the ears of the king in verse 6. Possibly King Paul Bellicus. And he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes, showing that he was greatly distressed. Verse 7. He issued a proclamation. He published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. And let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that's in their hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Nineveh is geographically massive. It says it takes three days to walk from one side to the other. And the amount that these people walked in the Old Testament, I believe that that is a massive amount of distance. Potentially, there are 600,000 people in the city of Nineveh at this time. And keep in mind, there's no skyscraper apartment buildings, right? 
They might have had two, three, maybe four stories, I don't know. But they would be spread out, and there'd be lots more livestock in this city than there would be a city of similar size today, right? Because everybody has a cow, sheep, donkey, I don't know. It's a big city. And God says, tell them the message that I tell you. You know, you can preach your makeup brand. You can preach your fitness routine. You can preach your fashion tips. And people do that, and that's helpful for, for people. It transforms them for a time, but it's God's message that's the only thing that leads to lasting life transformation. You can preach your thoughts, your opinion, your experience all day long, and it won't change lives until that element of God's truth makes its way into that message. God's truth is the changing factor. It's the pivotal point. It leads to transformation. And I don't know that Jonah obeyed exactly what God was asking him to say. Jonah's message was 40 days and you're all dead. How's that for a message? What would you think if I prepared all week and then I showed up here on Sunday and my message was 40 days, you're all dead? Right? That's a, a terrible message. Is that what God wanted him to say? 40 days and the city's going to be overthrown. You're all done. You're all going to be slaves. Most of you are going to be killed. It's going to be terrible. 40 days and it's going to happen. He doesn't say anything about God. He doesn't say anything about God's love. He doesn't say anything about repentance, about the fact that God is their judge and he's calling up their evil because God created them, but God also loves them. So someday down the road, God's going to send the Messiah to die for their sins. He doesn't say any of that. 40 days, and you're all dead. And God used it. That's the craziest, most satirical, most ironic part of this whole story. You have grumpy, frustrated, sunburnt, stomach acid, skewered, fish gut Jonah. Was that enough pronouns? And he's given the worst rendition of God's message known to man, and God uses it to change an entire city. From the king to the people on the street and everyone in between. Changed. <laughs> Crazy. The king encouraged everyone to call out to God, repent of their sins. That's salvation. You remember in the book of Judges how every time the people turned from God, they got themselves stuck under oppression and slavery. And when they cried out to God, when they turned back to God, God sent a rescuer to save them from the oppression every time because God's merciful and loving and that's God's heart to redeem people, to buy people back. <laughs> the king encourages everyone. It's redemption and salvation, buying people back to himself from the bondage of their sin. Here's a relieving application. If Jonah can do it, you can do it. Anybody can speak the message and change anybody's life if God's working through it. You don't have to have your life figured out. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to have been saved for a certain amount of time before you can go and share the message. You don't need to know all the answers. You don't need to have your hair done upright. You don't need to know the latest fashion trends. You don't need to be on the cutting edge of technology. You just need to be faithful in giving the message in the opportunities God gives and let God do the rest. There's a key little switch 
that I hadn't really had figured out in my mind when I was a kid. And that was the fact that we aren't called to save anybody. Jesus doesn't say go into the world and save people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says go into the world and preach the gospel, which is to proclaim the truth. We're just the messengers with the message. We don't transform people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of what Jesus did on the cross. So the responsibility to save people from their sin and to change their lives does not rest on our shoulders. That's the work of God in their hearts. You can't do it without him. If Jonah can preach to people, you can preach to people. And I don't care what the excuse is because I've used them all before. You know, I just, I don't know anybody. Well, I can't, I can't speak to them. They'll think about me differently. These are my coworkers. These are my classmates. This is my family. What if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? But if Jonah can do it, you can do it. Because we don't save anybody. God is the one who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and acceptance and faith in his son. It's through God's power. It's not through us. Jonah must have been ecstatic, right? Man, he must have been jumping down the street and woo! Anybody want autographs? I'm the guy who had the message. I'm the guy who came to Nineveh. I'm the guy who changed your lives forever for the better. I'm the guy who introduced you to God. I, I can sign your face. But Jonah does just the opposite. He is ticked off. He's frustrated beyond belief. Are you ready for his secret? See, this whole time, through this whole process, Jonah's got a secret that's eating his insides. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Super angry. Why? All the Ninevites turned to God. Wasn't, isn't that like the best thing that could possibly happen? Why are you so mad, bro? Verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? You know Jonah and God had a conversation before he ever left home that we don't get to hear about. Jonah and God headed out when God told Jonah, Go preach the message to the Ninevites, your sworn enemy, the people who besieged Samaria, who some of your relatives and your ancestors ate each other because of what these evil people did. Go and talk to them. And Jonah headed out with God. And here's his secret. Are you ready for this secret? Are you excited to hear it? Here we go. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Verse 2. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish because I knew, here's Jonah's secret, I just knew that you are a gracious God and you are merciful and you are slow to anger and you are abounding in steadfast love and you will relent from disaster, relenting from disaster. Jonah knew the whole time that the message of judgment and destruction would turn into a message of grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and acceptance when those people relented and repented of their sin. Jonah knew God so well that he knew, we've been saying this for three weeks, his heart was not condemnation and judgment and bringing the hammer down. His heart 
was for the redemption of his people to buy people back from the bondage of sin. And Jonah just knew that if he was sent to his mortal enemy to preach judgment and to call their sin to account, that if they repented, God was merciful and gracious enough to accept them like he accepted Israel, Jonah's people. And Jonah wanted nothing of the sort. Jonah wanted none of it. And Jonah knew that if they were called out for their murder, and for their rape, for the sick and nasty acts of violence that I can't begin to describe from this stage, that God would still accept them if they turned to him. Jonah knew that in the depths of his heart. And he did not want to be the one who gave that opportunity to the Gentiles, to those people, to the people across the border, to our enemies. Don't you remember what they did to us, God? Don't you remember how they treated us? Don't you remember in Elisha's day how they besieged Samaria and people were eating other people and we were spending all our money on dove's dung? He always knew. He knew right from the beginning that this would be an opportunity for Nineveh to enjoy the grace and mercy and love and peace that God had reserved for Israel. He knew it in the depths of his heart. And he didn't want them to experience it like Israel had experienced it. Do you see where I'm going? God, I can preach death and destruction to my enemy, but in my my heart, I just know that you still love them. I know that you care for them. I know that you want them as your own, and I just can't handle that. Verse 4. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city. I can just see him stomping his feet, slamming doors, kicking dirt, throwing his stuff. And he sat at the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there, a little tent. And he sat under it in the shade, probably moping and grumbling and just muttering under his breath till he should see what would become of the city. He wanted to see, is it going to burn? God, you told me. That's what you said. I know your heart, but this is what you said. Jonah knew. Jonah knew all along. How many know that the right thing done in the wrong way is still the wrong thing? Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant just like he appointed the great fish, just like he sent the east wind, just like he sent that storm. And he made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. No, I just picture, picture a mother. I picture my wife with our daughter Jade. And Jade is throwing a temper tantrum. She's throwing her food. She's throwing her shoes. She's throwing her dollies, which she does every day. It seems like we're, she just turned two, so we're in the terrible twos. And I just picture they're there, little one. How much you have yet to understand. How little of a worldview do you really have? Let me send this nice little plant to put some shade over your head and help you in your discomfort. Verse 6, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Who knew a little plant could turn somebody's day around? Send send somebody a plant this week. Maybe it'll turn their week around. Verse 7, 
But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, just like he appointed the plant, just like he appointed the great fish that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. Do you see how God is setting the stage here? He's redirecting Jonah. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. You know, three times in the story, Jonah talks about taking his life. And here we, say him, we see him say three times in a row, just take my life. Which is the ultimate route of escape. Verse 10, the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, you did not make it grow, which came into a being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not show pity to Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons. Earlier I said 600,000. Commentators believe 120,000 refers to the children that were in Nineveh. 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. You know, Jonah cares more about his comfort than he cares about the lives of hundreds of thousands of people who are going to die in a Christless eternity without God forever. He cares more about his own comfort in the moment, his own shade from the sun. You know, those people were immoral because they don't have God's law. They were wicked because the God of this world has blinded their eyes and they don't know any better. They're a mess because they're without God just like we were a mess and would still be a mess if not for God's grace. Jonah didn't work for the plant. He didn't dig the ground. He didn't plant the seed. He didn't give the sunlight or the water that allowed the plant to grow. You know, Jesus uses that as a picture of evangelism. We can't give the growth, but we can cast the seed. We can water the seed. But God's the one who gives the increase. The only reason any of us are here is because of what God has forgiven and graciously and mercifully forgiven in our lives. That's the only reason we're here. I shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. None of us should belong here if not for God's grace. Jonah developed an entitlement mentality. And he thought, because I'm part of Israel, God is my God and nobody else's. And you can't have the blessing and experience what God can do in your life for the love or forgiveness and acceptance unless you were born one of us. The entitlement mentality. You know, Pastor Levi Lusco illustrated it this way. Maybe you've been on an elevator recently. Maybe you're in Halifax. Maybe you're at the hospital, you know, going up an apartment building. I don't know. And you walk up to the elevator and you press the button and it turns red, right? Or blue, normally. And you watch the numbers on top as that elevator comes down. And when the elevator reaches your floor, the little bell goes ding, and the doors open up. And then there are people standing in the elevator. Have you ever done this? The elevator is just full, and it opens up, and you immediately feel like, oh, I was I waiting for it? I don't know. Like, is there going to be space in there? But you decide, I'm going to head in there, even though everybody's standing in the elevator like, Buddy, this elevator's full. Just wait for the next one, right? You can just see it written all over their faces. But you're like, I'm, I'm going to take it. I'm going to go for it. So a, 
do squeeze in, and I'm sorry, excuse me, my apologies, let me get in here, thank you so much for waiting, and then you do the turn. <laughs> Have you ever done this? You get onto that elevator, it's full, you just squeeze on, but now you're on. And as soon as you make that turn, you're part of the crew. And this is my elevator. This is going to take me up there. Those doors close and I made it on. But you're not at the top yet. You get to the next floor and the doors open. Oh, only made it one floor and some, somebody else is waiting for the doors. And there's three poor people standing out there. You dummies. Did, didn't you ever have a thought cross your mind that people might be on this elevator and we might be trying to get to the top and you're going to stop us to see if there's a place on here? You're not going to fit on here. Me and my crew, we've been on here, we're a whole floor together. This is our elevator. Don't you think this, this thing's full? Don't you even think about stepping a foot? Just wait for the next one. There will be another opportunity. Just wait for the next one. And the doors close. The turn, right? How can we get this mindset? We don't deserve this. The grace and mercy and love that we get to experience in this church as a son of the most high God. We don't deserve that. Man. How can we keep this mentality? Thank you very much. That we're just on here for a short trip and the doors are going to open up. People are going to have opportunity to step in. Man, we need to be the first to welcome them on. Let us never be a church that talks about those people that sits on the outside of town and just wishes for destruction and God's judgment because those people, let us be a church that no matter who is in this room, man, we are overjoyed and thankful and grateful for the opportunity to give the life-changing message of Jesus because this could be the only opportunity that these people have. And there was a day in our past where somebody took the opportunity, stepped into the difficulty, embarrassed themselves on stage with tears in their eyes and said, this message is for you. Maybe you've sat here for the last four weeks and you've heard all of these messages about Elijah and Elisha, God's power, God's strength, speaking the truth when it's hard, not giving up in life's struggles, but choosing to see God's power at work in our life. You've heard about the fact that God's heart is not condemnation. He's not bringing the hammer down on you. He doesn't want to judge you for sin and send you to hell for eternity without him. He wants you in his family. He wants to buy you back from whatever struggle you're facing. And I don't know what you're going through today. I can't pretend to know the weight that's on your shoulders, but I do know that my God is so big and so incredible, so powerful. And if he can bring forgiveness and acceptance to Ninevites, the Assyrians who did wicked and horrible things, he can bring acceptance and forgiveness to you 
because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the message that we preach here at Faith Baptist Church. If you need to make that life-changing decision today, don't get caught up in the moment. Don't get caught up in the emotion, but don't lose your opportunity. Today's the day of salvation. And if God is working in your heart and he's prompting you that you need to make a decision today to trust Christ as your Savior, don't let the day go by. I'm going to end this message by simply praying a prayer. And it's not a prayer. It's not the prayer itself. It's not some magic formula that saves you. It's simply your heart expressing to God's heart your need of salvation, your surrender to him, requesting his forgiveness for all of your sins and mistakes and mess-ups. And by God's grace, because of God's son's death in your place, he will accept you into his family, give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, an abundant new life, and a home with him forever and eternity. If that's you today, would you just join me as we pray? And then would you do myself and yourself a big favor? After the service, just tell the person who invited you. Tell the person who told you about this church. Tell the person sitting next to you, come up front and tell me after the service. That act of obedience just clarifies to yourself the decision that you've already made in your heart. So if you're ready to make that decision, would you pray with me today? Everybody's heads bows, bowed and eyes closed. Just pray this with me today. And it's not the words that save you. It's just simply expressing to God what you believe in your heart. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus died for my sin. I know that he was buried three days and three nights, just like Jonah was in the whale. And I know that he rose again from the dead. God, forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord and Savior. God, come into my life today. Make me your child. And I'll live for you from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'll be right up front here. Speak to the person who invited you today. That's what we're all about here at Faith Baptist Church, sharing the journey. And that journey is a journey towards Jesus, walking with Jesus. I hope you have a great and awesome week. Stay up to date with everything we're doing here at Faith Baptist Church. Check the credenza out there. Check us out in line. Make sure you follow what's going on here at Faith Baptist Church. Have a great week. We love you. Be blessed this week.